Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K. F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kimberly Stuck, and she is CEO of LA Consulting. We're going to talk about what's going on in the cannabis space from a regulatory point of view. I think most people in the industry know that we're full of kind of regulatory requirements. Some companies are acutely aware of the fact that we're full of regulatory compliance. But we're just going to kind of walk through really what it means to operate a compliant business in the cannabis industry, what considerations are, what it needs to kind of take place operationally to really make sure your business is not only sort of compliant, but really is going to be successful to make sure that you're operating in an appropriate manner. And we're going to look at kind of the broad cannabis industry, both the THC and the hemp side we're going to talk about, I'm sure. So exciting area of it. I think that it's not only an integral part of the cannabis space, it's also kind of a changing part of the cannabis space, given the kind of regulatory framework that we're in with all the state requirements. They can be not only complicated, they can be kind of changing. So that is part of the challenge of a cannabis business. So I'm excited to have this conversation with 
that, Kimberly, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah. So I always like to kind of learn people's stories about how they got into the cannabis space. There's always a, an interesting kind of path there I find that people have taken. But give us a sense of the background. How did you get into cannabis? How did you get into this side of it in terms of looking at the regulatory side and the compliance side of it? What was the backstory? So I actually started my career as a restaurant health inspector working in Denver, Colorado. So I was just doing my normal day's work. And then obviously Colorado had cannabis become legal. So that was for recreational. It had already been medical for a little while and they were vastly unregulated at that point when it came to health department, like a local health authority or any health authority for that matter. So, you know, the department kind of looked around and they were like, listen, like we got to do something about this. There are people making edibles and tinctures and all this stuff. And also, you know, the dispensaries, we also had um, the jurisdiction to go into to make sure everything was refrigerated correctly and hot water is in their facility and their bathrooms worked and things like that. So yeah, the health department pretty much took it on themselves to start regulating cannabis in that food safety and, you know, health and safety aspect. So we started going into dispensaries and MIPS and stuff. And that was all of us at the department. And it was just a whole new, insane world. And then eventually, you know, it got to the point where there were so many cannabis licenses and so many things going on. And we had to do a bunch of recalls. You know, we started to get into like pesticide usage and things like that that were really dangerous back then at that time, still are today in some places. And they decided that someone had to kind of run the show and just do cannabis. I mean, that's how much work kind of came out of it. They asked if I wanted to do that. So I absolutely said yes, because I loved the cannabis space. It was very interesting. I was over doing restaurants and wholesale food. Not that it wasn't great, but you know, you do that for a little while you want. I'm a grower. I like to learn new stuff every day. So it was perfect for me. And then, you know, I did that for a while, long enough to, you know, create kind of a reputation for myself and then really fell in love with the industry. I just really liked the people. I loved the plant. I thought it was amazing. You know, I thought the possibilities of what that plant could do was really incredible. And then I just kind of saw an opportunity to really help the industry by starting my own company and being a consultant for them so that they could actually hire me and kind of tap into all the knowledge and resources that I had. Whereas a regulator, you really, you know, you can't help people the same way that you can when you're a consultant. And so, yeah, so I started my own company in 2017 and have kind of gone from there ever since. It's been great. Curious, for people that kind of transitioned in the cannabis space, I'm always curious what kind of impact it's had for them, either personally or professionally, as you kind of identified and, and kind of aligned yourself with the cannabis space, was there any professional fallout, um, you know, personal fallout, friends, family? I mean, I know <laughs> people that get disowned from people because it's like, oh my God, you're in cannabis. You know, other people, you know, it's it's already part of their culture. Well, how was that for you? Is that a big decision or a, a hard choice? It was, you know, for me, it was an easy choice because I felt it pulling me. You know, people say that things are fate and whatever. I don't really know what I believe in when it comes to that, but, but I felt really well into cannabis and the people for some reason I mean I grew up in Colorado I'm a Colorado native cannabis was everywhere you know it wasn't something that I had a weird bias against or anything like that so you know for me it was a no-brainer it was where I obviously wanted to go and where my heart fell Um, but (laughs) you know explaining that to my higher-ups when I quit my job obviously there's a little bit of a weirdness there you know I'm still really good friends with people in the department and they actually 
supported me as much as they possibly could. Um, I went to the ethics board to make sure that I was doing everything the correct way and was leaving. And I signed an NDA with the department. Obviously, I would never want to throw anybody on the under the bus yeah. because I knew everybody's, you know, skeletons in their closets. I mean, that's the way it works when you're a regulator. So, you know, I did everything the right way and left the department. So I didn't, you know, burn any bridges or anything like that. I think my family thought I was completely insane. My husband was super supportive. Good. (laughs) You know, telling my mom, hey, you know, I quit my Cush government job (laughs) to go and start my own company in the cannabis industry was um, a little shocking to her, I think. But, you know, now she thinks it's interesting and cool. And I think people have really grown into it. But, you know, and now that I'm fairly successful, I think that helps too. I think they were afraid that, you know, I was going to start this business and tomorrow, you know, Trump was going to make it illegal or something. And then my whole life would just be blown up. But we all know that's not going to happen. So (laughs) it's kind of nice. Well, now Um, now it's declared essential services. So (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. That was a good thing. But yeah, it's just really funny. And then, you know, I think I underestimated the what people really go to go through to be a cannabis business. I mean, at parties, I sometimes, you know, depending on the crew that's there, I kind of just say that I'm an FDA OSHA consultant. (laughs) You know, I don't even mention it. It'll turn into either four hour long conversation that's just exhausting or, you know, they're like, oh, you're a pothead or, you know, like it's really interesting people's reactions. And, you know, I just also didn't realize, you know, the banking issue and, you know, QuickBooks wouldn't let me do their payments processing anymore. They kicked me out, you know, weird things like that, that Mm -hmm. being a business owner, I, you know, I wasn't, I'm not a licensed cultivator or anything, but yet I'm on my third bank. Um, (laughs) It's kind of interesting. And even being an ancillary company with the COVID crisis, right? PPP loans, you know, I kind of looked into that because obviously, you know, we take, take a small hit, you know, a hit for that no matter what. I think every business did. So I looked into it and they exclude all companies that have anything to do with cannabis. And, you know, on my website, it's all pot leaves and yeah, very obviously a cannabis company. And so, you know, it was really interesting. It's like, okay, so I'm in that group of people that, are kind of discriminated against just because, you know, we work in a cannabis industry. So, you know, I kind of underestimated that. Now I'm really used to it because I've been in business for almost three years now, but you know, you just never, you never know. It's kind of, it's really interesting. You never know what it's like to run a business until you really jump in and do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you had both kind of angles. I mean, one, just starting a business on it, you know, on its own is, it's a challenge and it's an adventure and, you know, has complexities and risks, but, you know, starting a business in cannabis at the same time is, uh, you know, like double the double whammy in terms of kind of the complexity and and some of the issues you run into. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, some people, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you know, kind of some Similar story. I think in the beginning, I had people that would kind of, you know, look at me funny and say, "Oh, yeah, you're just you're in the cannabis space now." And now they reach out to me because they want jobs and they want, you know, they, want mm-hmm. they want access to people and things like that. So it's it's funny how it's changed just over a couple of years in terms of the perception of things. Oh yeah. Let's understand kind of you know when we talk about compliance issues, regulatory issues, what are the things that a cannabis business needs to kind of consider? What things are at play when it comes to compliance? So you mentioned a whole bunch of things that you were doing back in college.
Colorado, but what are the areas, give me kind of the, the categories or the topics or the domains that you focus on when you come in and advise a cannabis business on the things that they need to kind of get right operationally to sort of be compliant and, and make sure that they're not going to run into problems from a regulatory point of view? Yeah, so we, we do compliance, but when you say the word compliance, that really covers so many different areas, yeah. but we really specify and focus on just a handful of things. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I come from that food safety, you know, FDA regulation background. So of mm-hmm. course we cover the FDA regulations that are, you know, for most companies right now, not in place. In fact, any of them, <laughs> there are no FDA regulations yet for the hemp space nor for the THC space, but sometimes depending on which county they're in, local health departments obviously will knock on doors and, and do their inspections and that kind of thing. And a lot of counties like Denver have been doing it for a very long time. But FDA regulations are coming. FDA is not going to reinvent the wheel. Food safety is food safety. There are nuances in the cannabis space, such as testing and the fact that you can't, you know, wash the plant before processing it or, um, you know, the issues with CBOT spores in oil. There's a lot of like food safety issues. So, you know, being aware of FDA regulations that could possibly be coming down the line is always a really great thing. And so we kind of deal with that side of it. Also, we deal with OSHA because worker safety is really important. If you're a really good company, you should care about your employees. And not only that, OSHA is one of the highest fining departments in the United States. So not only taking care of your employees is good for your business from an internal standpoint, but also it'll help you not get fined when they start knocking on doors. And right now they are coming into facilities if there's a complaint. So when I've seen them the most is usually when there's a disgruntled employee, which happens no matter what, no matter what business you're in, or if somebody actually gets hurt. And those are some serious, serious fines and things like that, if, if that is the case. So, you know, OSHA is a really big deal. We also deal with fire code because OSHA and fire code are really, really tightly knit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you're doing butane or pentane or hexane, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, solvents, you're using, yeah. yeah. So we help you figure out chemical storage, you know, all of your OSHA documentation along with fire code documentation, just like a fire preventative plan, essentially for your facility. You know, if you're building out a facility, we help you figure out class one, division one blast rooms, how to lay out your facility, things like that. And then more recently, we do GMP certification. We assist with all the documentation, training of your staff, implementing all your procedures. You know, we do gap analysis so that we can kind of figure out where you're at on the spectrum mm-hmm. <laughs> when we first start working with you. And then we also do ISO certification. So we always start with GMP because that's kind of the first step. And then if you want to go on and get ISO certification, either 9001 or 22000, then we can help you from there as well. And yeah, and that's it's exciting because that really wasn't offered to the industry for a very long time. And now it is. We actually work with four accredited certifying bodies that will work in not only the hemp side, but also the THC side. So I think a lot of THC company owners have no idea that they can get this and they absolutely can. Interesting. And what's the benefit? I mean, is this a, just a risk reduction? Is this improve the quality of your process? I mean, why, I guess, why do owners care about these things or why should they care about these things? 
Yeah, well, it kind of does it all. So creating a consistent product is always really great. I mean, when I want to buy a brownie or something, I want it to be the same brownie every single time, you know, and that's just good. So it helps with that. It helps with track and trace. So if there ever is a problem, you have more of a possibility of not being held liable for an outbreak or something like that. If you can track and trace where everything came from, because usually it's an ingredient that you buy that will cause you to have to do some kind of recall. So that kind of thing, it does reduce risk by a huge amount because all the practices that we put in place, hand washing, PPE will help you avoid any kind of outbreaks or, you know, problems with your product. And then on top of that, I think that the consumers are really starting to realize that most of these products that are on the shelves in CBD and THC haven't seen a health department. So they're starting to look for GMP certified products and companies. Oh, interesting. Yeah. As as kind of a proxy for the fact that it's not regulated in the same way that other food kind of products are, that you you look for the GMP process as kind of a proxy to that that same kind of quality and, and safety issues. Yeah. And usually it's also, you know, there's a huge risk also with finding when the FDA starts coming in because they're already gearing up. They know it's going to happen. They're starting to get regulations together um, and the FDA is going to start knocking on doors eventually. When that happens, I would say that 90% of CBD companies at least and, and THC in certain states <laughs> who don't have regular health department coming in wouldn't pass an FDA audit. And when I say that, I mean, they would probably be closed on site. And that actually was very shocking to me because I was so used to working in Denver where they saw us every six months. So they were used to it. They knew what we wanted from them. When you start going outside of those counties that have a health department that's going into these places, it's a whole other story. I would walk in and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start. (laughs) Holy cow. What do you actually see? I mean, like, I'm just kind of curious. Like, I get the idea of the regulations and I understand the kind of the proper procedures and things like that. But when you go in and evaluate a company, what is your process? I mean, where, where do you start and what is it that you look for and how do you kind of triage and categorize the, the issues? That's a huge long list. But, <laughs> you know, just for instance, like if you walk in and let's say the first thing I do in a facility is walk over and wash my hands, right? Because I'm a contamination risk. Yeah. So the first thing I do when I've got my hair up and everything, you know, we're very cognizant about contaminating the facility that we're auditing. Yeah. And we were taught that from certified quality auditors. Like we have all this training. To- yeah, yeah. The auditing of the auditors. And I can't find a hand sink. That's an issue. <laughs> and a lot of places don't have any hand sinks. I, I can't even tell you how many times that that's happened. Or they don't have any hot water at all, which is a huge issue. Or let's say that the entire facility has is carpeted. That is a huge issue. <laughs> or every single piece of equipment in the facility is from someone's actual home kitchen. Or <laughs> the ceiling is falling apart. Or they have a rampant pest issue. I mean, I was in an, an extraction facility, not even that long ago that had the worst mouse problem I've ever seen in my entire life. I was, oh my gosh, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is like a normal, you know, this is, and you know, these are places a lot of times in a rural community. They don't have a health department that's coming in and checking on them. They don't even know, you know, what 
they're supposed to be doing. They have no sanitizer. They have no, you know, things that are normal for like a restaurant or, you know, any other wholesale food manufacturer just don't exist because, and it's not the fault of the people that are there. If they're not taught, they're not going to know. And I think that, you know, when you're a regulator and you're going into these places, most of what I did was education. So, you know, sometimes when, when I go into these places and they have everything is wrong, with me, I'm almost like a, you know, obviously I'm not going to be mean about it, you know, <laughs> obviously, yeah. I, would hate, I would never, but, um, you know, it's kind of a breath of fresh air because it gives them a starting point on what to do because, yeah. you know, they just don't have any guidance and it's kind of a fresh, you know, they're like, oh, thank God. Thank you for telling me this. Now I can change it. And it's, it's really great. But yeah, I mean, it's, people are not ready for the FDA as a whole, and it's it's terrifying to me because the FDA is, you know, they're very strong handed. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of authority. And, you know, I just I want to keep as many places going as I possibly can before that happens. Yeah. It's kind of the goal. And the reason I mean, just kind of for folks that aren't as maybe familiar about the regulatory issue. So the fact that it's still federally illegal means the FDA is not getting their fingers involved in things. It's really it's left up to the states because it's states level authorization that allows cannabis to happen. But that is well, certainly for the CBD, for the, the 2018 Farm Bill that legalized CBD, now this is in play, but the FIT, FDA hasn't actually stepped in yet, is my understanding. Yeah, so the USDA wrote their regulations, and the way that it usually works is one agency will write their regulations, and then the next agency will back those regulations up to those regulations. Because if you have two government regulators writing regulations at the exact same time, there can be a lot of crossover. Yeah. The FDA might demand this and the USDA might demand this and they could be different. Yeah. And they they try to avoid that as much as possible. So yeah, the FDA hasn't, I mean, they're writing the regulations right now, they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I mean, I know they're working on them, but I just don't know because every six months they tell us it'll be another six months. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, the CBD companies really need to be, there should be some warning signs. There should be some flat, you know, alarms going off in their heads to really get compliant with those FDA regulations and GMP certification is a really great way to do that because GMP certification is based on the FDA regulations, first of all, and then it's a little above and beyond. And, you know, the marketing opportunity of saying that you're a GMP certified company, I certainly would way rather buy products from a GMP certified company than one that's not because I know that they're following standards that are protecting me as a consumer. Yeah. So... So basically, the FDA, I mean, at some point, the FDA will say, oh, we're done. Here they are. Then what happens? I mean, they, this stuff goes into force and FDA officers start knocking on doors and making sure that things are compliant. Or what's the how, how do you see this actually playing out, you know, in the coming months and quarters in terms of, say, this the regulations are finished and published, then what happens? So usually, I mean, it'll take a minute for the regulations to even come out. They'll probably do a first draft and then have it open to the public for comment, just like they did with the USDA regulations. They'll take those comments into account, rewrite if they need to, if they decide that they want to. Mm-hmm. And then release them. And then there will probably be a leeway period. So they'll give you a little bit of time to come into compliance with those regulations. I have a feeling that our company is going to get completely crazy during that time because a lot of people are just going to realize that they're not in compliance. But, you know, that's the way it is with everything. Every, you know, any company that starts, you know, they got to get into compliance. So, so yeah, after that, um, and then, yeah, the FDA will essentially probably before then start 
start hiring people to be cannabis FDA agents. And that's just obviously they're going to have to do that because they don't have those people yet. Yeah. It's not like they're going to pull people off of other, you know, out of other industries. Yeah, they could, but they're going to have to hire anyway, you know, to yeah. backfill those positions. But yeah, and then, and then, yeah, they'll go out. They'll start doing it just the same way that they do wholesale food manufacturing. You know, they go in, you know, every, it depends on the type of food, but I have a feeling that with cannabis, they're going to be in every six months or so yeah. <laughs> to a year. Yeah. I mean, depending on what they decide. But yeah, I mean, in Denver, we were in there every six months. And because a lot of cannabis owners and workers have no food safety background at all, it was really good that we were there every six months (laughs) (laughs) because it helped them really keep on track and kind of remind them the reasons, you know, why we are Mm -hmm. asking for them to do these things. So it was good. Yeah. And I mean, these are federal agents. I mean, how does this work? I mean, if they come in and they find problems, what is their, what's the scope of their authority and what can they do in terms of taking action? So they are a federal jurisdiction, but everything on, under their regulations. So, it you know, it kind of depends on what the violation is. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if it's super severe, they can put a hold on your license, things like that, you know, and make you get into compliance before granting you permission to go back to work. And then, you know, they can always, you know, cite you a criminal ticket. They can do a cease and desist order. So if you're doing something that that is against their set of regulations, they can always write you a cease and desist, much like what they're doing for the claims right now. So, you know, they're reaching out and then people that are not changing their actions, Mm -hmm. they're actually taking their licenses away right now. So, I mean, even right now, the FDA has authority. So let's say there was a huge outbreak in some random state and then the FDA had to get involved right now, they absolutely could. They have the jurisdiction. If there's an outbreak or some kind of issue, they can get involved. Mm, and It kind of depends on what they're going to do. It depends on the situation. They do have uh, a pretty broad scope that they can work from to get you into compliance. A lot of times if it's just like, oh, you have four or five or six violations, you know, they'll mark it down. There may be a fine associated with it, but, you know, usually they just want you to be in compliance. And so they'll wait, you know, they'll let you fix the things that are kind of on their list of things to fix. And then it depends on on the investigator. (laughs) But, you know, with me, you could take a picture and send it to me and prove that, it, you know, that violation has been changed. So that's always, you know, things like that are kind of cool nowadays with technology. But, you know, it it just kind of depends on the auditor, um, because believe it or not, the government are people too. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, they each have their pet peeves and they each have their things um, that they find and look for a little more than others. So, you know, everybody's different. So realize that. And also, yeah, I mean, just trying to be in compliance before they walk in the door, because almost no matter what, they're going to find something. Yeah. We just hope it's something small. Yeah. You know? Something that's quick, <laughs> small, easy to fix, not costly, yeah. not going to result yeah, in a fine. If you can fix it on site while they're there, even better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so if, for a cannabis company, you know, someone operating, you know, plant touching, you know, it's part, part of the processing side of cannabis, either hemp or, or THC. What's kind of the set of recommendations, things that they should be kind of putting into their operational plan to start making sure they're compliant in these ways? Like, where do people start? Is it doing audits? Is it, how do they kind of assess themselves at this point? Well, I mean, for what our company does, I mean, we always recommend just having a third party audit. Like, Mm -hmm. 
we do FDA audits all the time. So, you know, we also deal with like, if you're a THC company, we can do state regulations. But honestly, the state regulations in almost every state, whether it's MED or OLCC or BCC or whatever, mm-hmm. those are our easiest set of regulations, believe it or not. Um, and I think the cannabis industry, you know, they feel like they're very, very regulated, over-regulated. And I, a lot of times tell my clients, like, I don't think you understand <laughs> <laughs> because other wholesale food manufacturers yeah. have another two agencies that come in mm-hmm. really often and, you know, that are far more strict than the state regulators. And, you know, it's kind of interesting once they realize that. So, yeah, I mean, we can come in and evaluate and just let you know, like, where you stand. And the good thing about our reports is we keep them very simple mm-hmm. and very straight to the point. And we essentially give you a checklist of, hey, these are the things you need to change. This is how we recommend you change them. And then it's up to you to do something about it. And that's a one-off, doesn't even need a contract. We just show up and leave. And there's a... I think that having some kind of third-party audit is kind of where everybody starts yeah. because you don't know what's wrong until you know what's wrong. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do you find that when an FDA officer comes in and does an inspection, does it, are you in better shape if you've had third-party audits? I mean, does that help you? Does that help your case at all or do they not yeah. care? No, absolutely. You know, FDA third-party audits from consultants like me have existed for a really long time. (laughs) You know, there's, I actually work very tightly with a lot of people that have their own businesses just like mine, but they've had them for 40 years. It's just that they work in different industries. (laughs) You know, they work in milk or meat because each industry kind of has its own set of regulations and things to think about because every kind of food kind of has its own nuance, just like cannabis. Yeah, sure. The the process is different and there's, yeah, yeah, exactly. With the possible kind of where you could run into contamination problems and things like that are slightly different in each, each operations. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard when you take somebody who's been doing USDA meat their whole lives and throw them in a cannabis facility, they have no idea what they're even looking at. So (laughs) our company, you know, really specializes in that cannabis side. So yeah, I mean, we can come in and evaluate and I mean, we have... People that, you know, will leave our card out so that the regulator sees the card and goes, oh, you're working with them? Because we also have very, you know, tight networks within the government agencies as well. I'm on a lot of government work groups and boards and things like that to help regulators kind of know what's going on and and just make sure that our regulations are actually fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I try very hard to make sure that we keep on that side. And and yeah, I mean, having any kind of consulting for this, I mean, they think that that's really great because the regulators can only do so much. They're really not allowed to give you advice or tell you how to fix things. Yeah. They essentially just state the regulation and tell you you need to be in compliance with that regulation. And that's due to liability issues. You yeah. know, it's not their fault that they can't be helpful. That's just the way the government works. And so consultants exist to give you those options like, hey, you know, this is wrong. Yes, it's a violation. It sucks. I know. But here's what you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And these are your three options. And this is what, it, what it's going to cost you. And this is, you know, what would you like to do? Yeah. And, you know, people need that. <laughs> you know, they need that guidance because no no normal person is a food safety or OSHA expert. Like that's just not a normal thing. It's not something that normal people know. um, And that's okay. So, you know, I think that people get kind of down on themselves when they have violations and things like that. But the good thing is, is that when we're in there, nothing bad happens when you get violations. We actually help you to fix everything. When a regulator comes in, it's a different story. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? At least you're on, kind of on their side, <laughs> helping them yeah, as opposed absolutely. to just issuing tickets and violations. Oh, yeah. Um, no, our clients have end up, because we're on retainer with all of our clients. That's mm-hmm. how we work, unless we just do like a one-time audit. But most of them are on retainer and, you know, they're like family. You know, we care yeah. about their companies as much as we care about our company because we want to see them succeed. And we've seen them work really, really hard to, you know, get that perfect inspection and get that GMP certification that's super hard to get. And we're just so proud of them. So it's a great thing to be a part of this industry and watching companies go from, oh my God, like (laughs) this is so bad, you know, like in a nice way, like, but we need to work on a whole lot of stuff and seeing them just become this amazing company that has, you know, compliance in their culture and all their employees know all the right answers and their product is the safest product. And I can recommend it to my grandma, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's great. You know, it's amazing to see that. And it makes me feel amazing about what I'm doing and all of that. So it's very fulfilling. I really like it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Kimberly, if people want to find out more information about you, about LA, what's the best way to get that information? So you can go to our website at www.alayconsulting.com and check out what our services are there. And then you can always contact us at the little box or you can just email me directly at Kim, K-I-M, period, stuck, S-T-U-C-K, at Alay, A-L-L-A-Y, consulting.com. Great. I'll make sure that those are in the show notes here so people can click through and get that. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, you know, obviously a key part of the cannabis industry and obviously one that's going to get more and more complicated and more and more necessary as the industry grows. So this is really helpful. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.